Giddy up. What is up, regulators? It's your boy Waldo. Thank you for joining us on another Regulators podcast. So, what a time to be alive. New league year is hitting us, and uh, it's been a crazy week so far, and it's only going to get more insane. So, we are going to try to run through all the moves so far, but I know that by the time you hear my voice, there is a near certainty that there's going to be more news that broke. And uh, it's just going to completely infuriate me. But while we may not be live, we still have tons of great information, including your first look at this year's draft class. So sit back, pour a drink if you're able, and uh, do your best Al Bundy as we get into everything NFL right now. So it is crazy to me that we do pretend the legal tampering period starts Monday at noon and 10 minutes into it, we've already got trades and deals, like all kinds of stuff. Like, how does the NFL keep a straight face? I mean, like, as if we're supposed to believe that an agent or a team picks up the phone at 12.01 on Monday, and at 12.02, we've already got deals. Like, fuck off. Like, this is, it's a charade. Much like the chain gang, much like the players sitting there signing contracts from Bora Bora when we know we've got fucking DocuSign. It's 2022. It's a, it's a complete charade, but I digress. So we started off this week with Carson Wentz being traded to the Washington Commanders. Now this will be the fifth year in a row that the Indianapolis Colts are going to have a new quarterback. The one good thing for Indy is that Washington completely absorbed all of the pay for Carson, so that immediately catapulted them to the top of the cap space list right from the jump. Um, Some other news as far as Indianapolis, the Colts actually did add Reggie Wayne as a wide receiver coach, which I thought was a nice move. Frank Reich said that was something that had kind of been in the work for years, and I'm sure there's nobody better uh, to be a wide receiver coach in Indianapolis. Now, I started looking at it, and I thought it was very interesting seeing all these quarterbacks on the move, and I went and looked, and there were 20 quarterbacks in 2020 who started in the NFL who are no longer starters for the same teams that they started for in 2020. There's only 32 teams. 20 quarterbacks who were starters in 2020 are no longer starters for those teams. Some of them got traded to different teams. Some of them got demoted. Some of them retired, etc. But that is a huge turnover in just a couple of years. We haven't even hit the 2022 season yet. So a lot of turnover with the quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, so I don't know. I just found it very interesting. I, w- I want to go back and research because I feel like that's got to be one of the most ever within a couple year period, but I'll have to dive into that. Anyway, looking at some moves around the league, uh, Khalil Mack, and this is what's crazy to me. I was thinking about it this morning. It's been such a long week that I already forgot that Khalil Mack was traded to the Chargers. So Khalil Mack was traded to the Chargers for a second and a sixth round pick. So now you think about it. You've got Khalil Mack, you've got Derwin James, You've got Bosa, and now you've got J.C. Jackson. 
So the Chargers go out, they sign the best cornerback who's on the market, and that was J.C. Jackson. So J.C. Jackson has more interceptions in the first four years of his career than any NFL player has in history. He gets the bag five years, $82.5 million with 40 guaranteed. Now on the flip side of that Khalil Mack trade, it also leaves the Bears with $24 million in dead money. So that's excuse me. That's something that they're going to have to incur. In other extension news, uh, Max Crosby with the Raiders, four years, $95 million extension. Great for him. Um, but, you know, one thing I want to say as we go over some of these numbers and you, you continue to see them roll in off of Twitter or wherever you're getting your NFL news, take these numbers with a grain of salt, right? So four year, $95 million. He's never going to see all of that. You know, we give you oftentimes the guaranteed money like with J.C. Jackson. It's $82.5 million, but only 40 of it is, is guaranteed. And in general, even when you're signing a five-year deal, it might only be three years worth of guaranteed money. So therefore, that's really what your contract is. Because after that, unless it's super beneficial for the team and you're somehow playing way above what the value is, they're going to restructure or they're going to cut you or they're going to move on. So take these numbers with a grain of salt, but then look into the contracts. And I'll come back to that as we get into some of these other contracts and give you examples of what I'm talking about. But just, you know, understand that when they throw out these huge numbers, some of those are borderline impossible, um, if not highly unlikely to ever come to fruition. So one of the other big pieces of news, of course, is the GOAT himself, Tom Brady, announcing that he is coming back to play another year for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's funny, I almost half feel that he's doing this just despite Adam Schefter. It was really funny when all of a sudden the leaks started coming out that he was done and allegedly Tom was pissed about it. And then he gave us that seven-page Instagram notes, goodbye, bullshit, um, I will no longer make the competitive effort anymore and I, I'm moving on with other things in my life and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we had even joked about it. You know, maybe he comes back just to spite Schefter. Um, but he is coming back and, uh, you know, or I don't know, maybe gas, is, gas prices are so bad even Tom Brady had to go back to work. I don't know what it is. But either way, he will be back. And, you know, maybe some of it is that he also saw the NFC landscape and was like, Okay, easy walk to the playoffs, I'm in. So just to give you an idea of how much Tom Brady moves the needle, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, prior to his announcement of coming back, were 25 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl. Okay, they were at plus 2,500. Now, since he came back, literally 10 minutes after the news broke, the Buccaneers already moved up to 10 to 1. Guess who locked him in at 25 to 1? Holla at you, boy. You got to be quick sometimes. You got to be on it. So we threw a nice little bet on 25 to 1 for the Bucks to take it all. So we'll see how that ends up. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. And unfortunately, the people that are hoarding Kyle Trask rookie cards did not have a good day. Nor did the sucker who paid 500000 for Brady's, quote, last touchdown ball. Um, but I got to say this. Congratulations to the guy who sold that 
last touchdown ball for half a million dollars. Like that's got to be the best day ever. Imagine you sell that, the transaction goes through, money clears, and then you see Brady's coming back and you're like, oh my God. It would be like being on deal or no deal and taking the money, walking away, and then finding out your case had $2 in it and just knowing you made the right decision. So fantastic uh, way to go out for that guy. But um, with Tom Brady coming back, you know, that enticed center Ryan Jensen to come back. So he comes back on a three-year, $39 million deal. Um, The Buccaneers also traded for uh, Shaq Mason, and he will be rejoining Tom Brady in Tampa. And we've yet to hear what's going on with Gronk and Fournette, but more than likely I would lead towards those guys coming back. But... Let's talk about another quarterback who's obviously all over the news, and that is Deshaun Watson. So we found out last Friday that he will not face criminal charges, and the only thing he will be found guilty of is just being nasty. Um, So he has the civil cases that he has to take care of, but those things are all purely monetary, and he's not going to be going to jail or anything like that. Now, this is not to say that the NFL can still not come in and say, well, we're going to suspend you for six games for conduct detrimental. Uh, They can do that, and Roger Goodell is the judge, jury, and executioner, so there's still a possibility that he does get some sort of punishment from the league, and it'll depend on a lot of factors. But just talking about the football side of things right now. So he has quickly started the tour and started visiting teams. He visited the Panthers, the Saints, the Browns, and now the uh, the Falcons are joining in, in on the mix as well. So it's interesting to note that the Panthers do not have a second or a third round pick this year, and their fourth actually came from Houston. Now, if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen or not, but the comp picks have already been announced for this year's draft. So the comp picks, for if you don't know, when you have free agents leave to sign with other teams and more leave than you sign from other teams, then you get what's called compensatory picks. And so the NFL awards these based on a secret formula that they keep to themselves. But the general idea is that if you lose a bunch of free agents and you're not able to sign a bunch, then you're getting comp picks. Now, there's a lot of kind of discrepancies sometimes where certain teams won't get some or some will get more. For example, the LA Rams got five compensatory picks, including a third and a fourth round pick, but they got five comp picks this year. So you add that to the stockpile that they already have, Um, In addition, the Saints, the Saints also received extra comp picks in the first couple of rounds. So right now, the New Orleans Saints have five picks in the first three rounds of this year's draft. That is way more than the Carolina Panthers who have won. So if those two teams are warring for... Deshaun Watson, we know he has the no-trade clause, but if he hypothetically says, well, I'll go to either one of these teams, and one of them has five picks in the first three rounds, and the other has one, well, that's probably going to play in their favor. But um, the interesting thing is now that he's, he's visited the Panthers, he's visited the Saints, he's visited the Browns, 
you know, the I think Baker Mayfield makes the Browns case kind of intriguing because it's the only destination out of those specific three that could hypothetically send back a starting caliber quarterback if Houston was so inclined. Now, if it doesn't work out, though, then Baker obviously is now going to feel some type of way that they went and flirted with Watson. Not because any team, you know, who isn't absolutely sure wouldn't be doing the same, but maybe it works out in the end, he gets a chip on his shoulder and he goes out and has a crazy year. If, you know, I I can't see Deshaun Watson wanting to go to Cleveland. Um, Personally, not anything against the Browns. I think their organization is set up much better than a lot of people, but from a selfish standpoint, like if you're thinking, all right, I want to play in a dome like he did in Houston, you know, well, then you're thinking New Orleans, you're thinking Atlanta. Um, If you don't want to combat the weather as a quarterback, just things like that, that he may be considering. But if I were Watson, I would probably lean for those reasons and those reasons only, um, you know, towards the Saints, uh, the dome, the ownership, etc. Plus, as I mentioned, the Saints have better draft capital to spend. Now, having said that, the Falcons have apparently thrown their hat in the ring. And honestly, I think that that is starting to make more and more sense to me. So the Falcons have three picks in the top 50 at their disposal. And they have Matt Ryan on a reconstructed contract which means that Atlanta will eat most of his salary, and that gives you a great bridge quarterback for either, let's say, Davis Mills, if Houston really thinks, well, maybe he might be the guy at some point, but we could use a bridge quarterback. Or even if Atlanta can use Matt to uh, trade him away somewhere else who could use a bridge quarterback because they've eaten so much of the salary and then use whatever compensation that they would get back in a trade ultimately with Houston. So another thing to note is that ownership in Atlanta is also great. Um, They've got the brand new Dome Stadium. Plus, apparently, Watson used to be a ball boy for the Falcons and developed a relationship with the Blank family. So I think that move could make a lot of sense. It is funny how the entire NFC South is now in on Watson, or at the very least trying to drive up the price on each other because you have to imagine that that's another thing that exists is that if you know an elite quarterback is going to be coming to your division you're going to want to make sure that the other team pays as much as humanly possible so you might try to push that bidding war up a little bit even if you're not completely in on it yourself so as i mentioned with matt ryan the falcons finally did restructure that contract that he had from the 49 million cap hit he would have had this year down to 36 million which is still a high number for an aging quarterback but there's no way they were going to let him eat a quarter of the cap this year so in other falcons news they also signed kicker young ho ku please save your jokes for the internet to a five-year extension 24.25 million for the kicker welcome to the party kickers I love it for the brand. Good to see. Russell Gage has also left the Falcons to go join the Buccaneers because, you know, what do we always say about the Buccaneers? They don't have anybody in their wide receiver room, right? They need more people who can catch the ball from Tom Brady. So the rich get richer. 
the Bucks will be happy to add Russell Gage into the fold. And now, I mean, with Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Russell Gage gone, you've got Olamide Zacchaeus hanging out like, uh, I can be your Huckleberry Deshaun Watson. It's a very, very thinning room in Atlanta for wide receivers. So you have to ask yourself, too, how much of that kind of plays a role in the decisions that Deshaun Watson is going to make as far as where would I like to go, what kind of team are you going to put around me. Um, So just interesting to keep an eye on. Speaking of wide receivers, Amari Cooper was traded to the Cleveland Browns for a fifth and a sixth round pick this week. So if you are looking to who's in the wide receiver room and you are potentially considering Cleveland, Amari Cooper might sweeten that pot. But here's the thing for me, and I talked about this a little bit last week. So here's Amari Cooper's ranks as far as receiving this past season. He was ranked 16th in touchdowns, 34th in yards, 47th in yards per reception, 47th in broken tackles, 98th in yards after the catch, 122nd in catch rate. And for me, I think that $20 million a year is a bit much um, for at the time, which was the third highest in the league. But the Browns may see it as either a one-year deal where they're just going to eat it for a year and see if he can help improve the offense, or perhaps they try to restructure him knowing that they can cut bait and walk away at the end of the season. So we'll see how it plays out. The Browns also cut uh, center J.C. Treader, who is the president of the NFLPA. And it's funny how often you see the guys that are the president of the NFL Players Association getting cut for one reason or another. And I've heard past players talk about how it doesn't necessarily align you well with the front office when they know that you are the president of the union. So that's for the Browns news. And then we move over to the Bills, who, sticking with wide receiver, they signed Isaiah McKenzie to a two-year deal. And I absolutely love this kid. I think he's been under the radar for years. They signed him back last year, and then now they put him on a two-year deal. I think this is a very big deal for Buffalo, especially with Cole Beasley probably on his way out. I think that it's an awesome move, and he is going to pop up on people's radar this year, especially even in fantasy, where people might realize how good of a player this kid is. Now, the Bills also signed J.D. McKissick from the Washington Commanders to add to their backfield. Two-year deal, $8 million. He's a good pass catcher, and he's going to add depth to that room. It's not a home run, holy shit signing, but it's definitely a good pickup for Buffalo. Now, Lel Collins, the right tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, is still under contract but was given permission by Dallas to seek a trade. Now, right now, I'm hearing things from both sides where teams are looking to make a deal for him, and then I'm also hearing that a lot of teams believe he just may be cut in order to get his salary off the books The Cowboys may just end up cutting him, and then everyone can just go sign him at will. So we'll have to see how that plays out if it hasn't already played out by the time you hear my voice. Um, But one thing that was funny that happened was the Cowboys were announced to have re-signed defensive end Randy Gregory for five years, $70 million, but apparently no 
He said ejecto cito cuz, and he changed his mind, and he went to the Broncos. And it was funny because Dallas had even already tweeted out from their official handle about the deal and Randy Gregory coming back. And then all of a sudden he went to the Broncos and the Broncos official handle tweeted out a gif that was Stephen Colbert going, surprise! And I thought that was just savage and fucking amazing. And I'm telling you, some of these teams get the social media game, some of them don't. But I thought it was amazing and I'm here for it. So the Cowboys also reached an agreement with wide receiver Michael Gallup. Five years, $62.5 million. And then they gave Demarcus Lawrence uh, three-year, $30 million to come back and stay with the Cowboys. Some other news, Steelers signed guard James Daniels, uh, three-year, $26.5 million. So he will help with the offensive line there. And in addition, the Steelers signed center Mason Cole. And they also signed quarterback Mitch Trubisky. I am very interested to see how this plays out because immediately I cringed. When I saw Mitch Trubisky, I was like, oh, no, because I thought I, I thought that the Steelers had like something really sneaky up their sleeve, and they still could, right? They still could, but they went out and they got Mitch Trubisky on a two-year deal, and I was surprised to see a lot of Steeler faithful on Twitter very excited about the move. I expected gloom and doom, and, you know, there was a little bit of that out there, but um, there were some people really excited about Mitch Trubisky, and I guess it just goes back to people are wondering, you know, did Matt Nagy just Adam Gase the shit out of Mitch Trubisky, and, you know, was it not really his fault? We saw him in a, in a limited role in Buffalo do some nice things, but... Now he may get the shot. Now, for me personally, I still think there's a chance that Pittsburgh goes out and drafts somebody. If the board falls a certain way, they may see it as, well, listen, let's get one year with Mitch. Let's regroup. Let's see what happens here. But in the meantime, if a specific player falls or we feel is available, we go out and get this person. We let them compete it out in camp. I mean, don't forget, Russell Wilson was a third-round draft pick, and they had signed a big-money contract to, was it Matt Flynn? Um, The Seahawks had went and got from the Patriots and signed this big deal, and then in comes training camp and preseason, and Russell Wilson is just looking like he is the guy. Next thing you know, he was the guy. So... There's nothing to say for sure that Mitch Trubisky will be the starter, but he's at least going to get a chance to compete as we see it right now. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, I'd love to hear from Steelers Nation at Regulators Pod. You know, hit us up and let us know what your thoughts are. I'd love, love to hear how you feel about the situation. I do think it's funny that a tweet that Mitch Trubisky made when he was 16 years old is again making the rounds and circulating because it says, I love to kiss titties. I mean, we all do. Like, that's that's great. No, Nobody cares. So that's it for the Steelers. Moving over to the Miami Dolphins, they got from Dallas guard Connor Williams on a two-year deal, $14 million. They also... Resigned Emmanuel Ogba for four years, $65 million. Huge deal. And 
the biggest free agents going into the end of the season were Mike Gesicki and Emmanuel Ogba. And I think if you look at what the Dolphins have already done in the past week, they kept both of those guys. So the two biggest guys that were going to leave was Mike Gesicki, Emmanuel Ogba. They tagged one. They signed the other to a huge extension. And then in day one, they go out and they get Chase Edmonds from the Arizona Cardinals. They signed him on a two-year, $12.6 million deal. Only six of it is guaranteed. Um, Chase Edmonds, I like this signing. You know, He's an extremely high-efficiency running back for the past three years. Led the NFL in yards before contact last season. And he was sixth in yards per carry. He's a great pass catcher. I think he'll fit well in Mike McDaniel's system. And then they went out and they got Cedric Wilson. Again, I think this is an under-the-radar signing. Three years, $22.8 million with $12 million guaranteed. Wilson had a career year in Dallas last year with 45 catches, 602 yards, and six touchdowns with a 73.8% catch rate, which was the ninth best in the NFL. He also averaged three and a half yards of separation last year, which is one of the better marks in the league and double what Devontae Parker gets with the league's worst mark in that category. So I talk about this all the time when I look at wide receivers. Who can get open? Where is the separation? And granted, there are other factors that go into some of these things, like when you talk about offensive line, having time to throw. Yes, we understand all of that. But when you look at it, historically, there's a direct correlation between yards of separation and production with pass catchers and the ability to create space to snap your routes off to be able to actually get separation is huge because then you get what yak and that's why when you look around the league and you even look at Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers who last year had a lower intended air yards per completion than, say, Tua Tungavailoa or some of these other quarterbacks. But you know what they had? They had yak. They had some of the highest yak. And part of that was due to separation. So I like this signing with Cedric Wilson. Um, I think it's a really good fit for what McDaniel is going to try to do there. Now, Miami added O-line help with Connor Williams from Dallas, as we mentioned, uh, Connor Williams only gave up one sack last year on almost a thousand snaps, but he did also lead all linemen in penalty in penalties. Uh, I think he had 11 holding penalties alone and you know he needs some of those tendencies coached out of him. Now I will put some of that on coaching, but I just like to give uh, true objective analysis when we say, oh, he only gave up one sack, you know, well, he held 11 times that he got caught for, and, you know, there, there might have been some more, but we'll see. Either way, he's a big nasty guard, and it should be an immediate upgrade for the Miami Dolphins. They also signed Teddy Bridgewater to a backup role for one year, which I think is an underrated signing. I believe they got him for like $6 million or something. I don't have it in front of me, but Teddy B comes home to Miami. I've always been a huge fan of his. He's very accurate. He's also mobile. I think that this, to me, screams that you are going to have a certain type of offense, and you want your backup quarterback to be kind of lockstep 
with your current quarterback. You don't want a Reed Sinet, a Duck Hodges. You want a very specific type of quarterback as far as their accuracy, as far as their mobility. And I think that um, I think this is a great signing for, for Teddy Bridgewater. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better backup quarterback in the league right now than Teddy Bridgewater. Now, moving on to Jacksonville. Man, Jacksonville had the credit card, and they were ready to fucking spend. So they get Brandon Scherf, who is one of the top free agents who was on the board three years, $49.5 million with $30 million guaranteed. And then, you know, this is, this is one thing I have to say. Listen, I know we all come from a lot of different political backgrounds. We may come from different religious beliefs. We may have different opinions on who the quarterback should be of a specific team or where Deshaun Watson should go. But I think we can all come together as humans, as people of Earth, to collectively realize that four years, $84 million for Christian Kirk was too much goddamn money. Like, what in the fuck? Christian Kirk immediately shot up to the third highest paid wide receiver and... Again, as we talked about it, $84 million is fake, but when you look at the AAV for what he is supposed to make, it still puts him absurdly high, and I'm not down on Christian Kirk. I think he's a good receiver, and I think it's a great pickup for Jacksonville, but my God, like it literally was like we're spending Daddy Con's money, and we don't care because it's not our money. Just run the card, bitch. Run it. So... Very interesting, and hopefully he is worth every single penny. I mean, you got to go out and get weapons for your young quarterback, so I can at least appreciate it from that standpoint. I just think that mm, you might have been able to get a, a better deal, but fuck it. We'll see what happens. Um, Jacksonville went out and was really just breaking, breaking the bank, which forced some other moves, including releasing Miles Jack who is still young and still has a lot of football left in him. So I think his services will be highly in demand. And then you move over to the Bengals. The Bengals also jumped in the lineman game, and they nabbed Ted Karras for three years, $18 million. And not to be outdone, the New York Jets landed Lakin Tomlinson, who was my white whale, honestly, in this year's free agent market. I think that... He joins a group of 49ers staff who are very familiar with him. They know what he does well. He hasn't missed a game in four years, which, of course, is the kibosh, right? That means, like, in preseason, he'll go down with some bullshit injury. But um, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. You know, I I hope he does well, and he's immediately just a plug-and-play for New York, and he's going to be awesome. He's going to be fucking great. And the Jets also signed tight end C.J. Uzama from Cincinnati to a three-year, $24 million deal, which I think is interesting. And I think he probably could have gotten more because you saw all of these tight ends who got tagged immediately. Dalton Schultz, Najoku, Mike Gusecki, all these tight ends started getting tagged and that market kind of shrunk up relatively quickly. And so I think Uzama could have got a little bit more, but he goes to the Jets on a three-year, $24 million deal. You know, the Pats have been relatively quiet so far this week, 
with the exception of trading Chase Winovich to the Browns for Mac Wilson in a straight-up player-for-player deal. Um, the Lions re- re-signed Charles Harris for two years, $14 million, and they signed DJ Chark one year, $10 million. So I thought Chark might be asking for a little bit more money, but, you know, 10 mil for one year, go to the Lions, and we'll see what they put together on offense. The Bears signed defensive tackle uh, Larry Ungajabi for three years, $40.5 million. The Cardinals extended Zach Ertz three years at $10 million. Talked about that tight end market. And then the Ravens signed safety Marcus Williams, five-year, $70 million. Going to add to that defense over in Baltimore. Now, Devontae Adams says that he won't play on the franchise tag and after you see the Christian Kirk deal you kind of understand why right I mean in what world is Christian Kirk making more money than Devontae Adams um I I I don't know but the Packers did extend pass rusher Preston Smith for four years 52 and a half million dollars on the extension they re-signed all-pro linebacker Devondre Campbell, five years, $50 million. But they did release Zadarius Smith because he had a $28 million cap hit this year if he was still on the team, and he only played in two games last year. But if he is healthy, this is a man who has a nose for the quarterback, and I think he's a beast. I think somebody will sign him and you know give him some good money if he's healthy and ready to go the Packers also cut Billy Turner who's been very serviceable for them and then we finally got the real numbers on the Aaron Rodgers mega extension you know the 200 million dollar deal and now here's the thing technically Rodgers will get I think around 120 million dollars in cash in the next couple seasons but his cap hits are friendly so in 2022, he's only got a $28.5 million cap hit, which is down from the original number of 46.7 up in that Matt Ryan ridiculous era. And then in 2023, his cap hit is $31.6 million, and then 2024, it would be $40.7 million, which can always be restructured if he stays with the team. Those are not bad cap hits for Aaron fucking Rodgers. So again all matters when you get into the minutiae of these things and really see where the money actually is and how everything is going to play out. Now, speaking of restructures, Kirk Cousins restructured. He has now had eight straight years of fully guaranteed money, which will total over $230 million in his career. And I honestly think he's worth every penny. Matt Stafford has earned even more money than that and has a career-losing record. So stop looking at the uniform and the team results and thinking that this guy is no good. Cousins is a dude. He's earned every penny, and he's going to continue to do it. Someone else, I think, earned every penny and was a surprise release for me. The LA Rams released all-pro punter Johnny Hecker just to save a couple million dollars. I can't imagine that he's going to be on the market very long. And speaking of the Rams, Andrew Whitworth, who became the first 40-year-old tackle to play in a game, is retiring on top. So the Walter Payton Man of the Year will ride off into the sunset as a Super Bowl champion, and 
salute me familia very uh very happy for him and uh it's been a hell of a run so one thing i want to say is to all the people who wanted to drink bleach three hours into free agency i think you guys need some therapy and some serious self-reflection so we have people who can't comprehend that i asked for no fucking pickles on my burger and those same people are telling us that it's simple the GM should just trade for T.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins. If he can't do this, he should be fired. Excuse me, bitch? Why don't you fix the fucking shake machine and leave the hot takes for the paid clowns on the big networks? Y'all flat earthers out here crying because 14 minutes into legal tampering period, you didn't trade for Aaron Rodgers. And you know, last year, no one saw what the Rams were going to do. Nobody saw them going out and getting Matt Stafford, Von Miller, OBJ, and again, those things happened over time. You have no idea what is going on behind the scenes and who may have, you know, conversations about people who are becoming available, people who may be cap casualties or may all of a sudden become trade pieces, etc. Wusa, use your pressure points. Breathe. It will be okay. I promise. Now, talking about more ridiculous things, the Packers recently held another round of their uh, stock. They, they opened up Packer stock so you could buy more Packer stock. And they raised over $65 million in the latest stock sale. But you guys are still making fun of people who are buying NFTs, right? There's, there's no value. There is no value in having... Packer stock. You cannot sell it to make money. You can you can sell it back to the team at what you paid for it. Like you you cannot hold Packer stock for like 20 years and then cash in. You can't buy 10,000 shares and then decide who they want to uh who they want to start at quarterback or call plays. Like all it does is it gives you an invite to their annual meeting. And you get to buy special merchandise that says Packers owner, like t-shirts and cups and stupid shit. Like, so it's an opportunity to buy more merchandise. It's a scam. It's a patsy. Like, it's, it's, it's all nonsense. But yet, they just raised $65 million. You just donated $65 million to the Packers to help them do things within the organization. Now, granted, if you're okay with that, if you're like, listen, we're the only team that's, you know owned by the people, allegedly, you know, sure, that's fine. And I donate my money. I get a little certificate that I can put in a frame. And I just think it's cool to talk about with my buddies. That's fine. But don't present it as anything more than it is. And what it is, is you donating your money to the Green Bay Packers, to which they say, thank you. Speaking of raising money, New York and Erie County is set to announce a $1.4 billion new stadium for the Buffalo Bills, and the only thing I have to say is, it's about fucking time. Let's go, Buffalo. These guys have needed a stadium for so long. The piece of shit up in Orchard Park there, like they just, they've deserved a new stadium for so long. And, and I mean, they are now an elite franchise. They are now right there in the title conversation every year. This is, this is a great team. This is a, a great franchise that deserves 
a new fucking stadium. So let's let's get it done. So I'm excited to hear more details about that as it comes out. Now, just to hit you guys with, you know, some quick other releases that happened. I mentioned Miles Jack. Bobby Wagner obviously was released from the Seahawks. Landon Collins, Janoris Jenkins, Jarvis Landry, AJ Boye. Those are some names that as of this moment are still out there floating around. And you still have available, again, as of the time of this broadcast, Allen Robinson, Tyran Matthew, Jameis Winston, Teron Armstead, Eric Fisher, Trent Brown, Morgan Moses, Akeem Hicks, Calais Campbell, Von Miller, Chandler Jones, Stephon Gilmore, Casey Hayward, Cordero Patterson, Leonard Fournette, Sony Michelle, MG3, Rashad Penny, Marlon Mack, JC Jackson, Raheem Mostert, OBJ, Juju, Antonio Brown, Jamison Crowder, Sammy Watkins, AJ Green, Gronk, Gerald Everett, Max Williams, Robert Tunyon, Jared Cook, and OJ Howard, just to name a few. There are about 300 other people that I could name. So when I tell you there's a lot of people out there that are available and a lot of people who are going to become available, calm your fucking tits. There's going to be a lot of movement, okay? The Saints are the only team, the only team without a single transaction on the waiver wire, which makes me think about two things. One, obviously they don't have any fucking money to spend. They're just trying to keep their own people and they keep restructuring things. But two, it still is odd that they're not even making cuts and releasing people and they're holding off on certain things. Maybe they are very, very close to this Deshaun Watson deal and maybe they need to know what they need to do before they do it and then go from there. So that's something to watch. Now, we do have the NFL draft just about a month away, and I've been promising you guys for a while, I really wanted to start talking about this draft class and start getting into the different positions. We're going to cover every position by the time the draft comes. But this week, I wanted to focus on the edge rushers that are going to be available. So while the edge rushing class is deep this year, it isn't as robust at the very, very top as some of the more prolific years. Now, that's not going to stop people from fawning over an Aiden Hutchinson or possibly reaching for some of the other talent at the position. Now, last year, there were no edge rushers taken in the top half of the first round. But once Miami nailed uh, Jalen Phillips off the board, then there were five additional edge rushers that were taken in the first round. So I don't think we're going to see anything close to the six of these guys come off the board in the first round. But that doesn't mean that there's not still talent out there to be had. So let's take a look at you know my top eight edge rushers that we have in the available in this year's draft, starting with the aforementioned Aiden Hutchinson. So Hutchinson is coming from Michigan. He was a senior, 6'7, 260 pounds, 32 and 1 8 inch arms. The 2021 consensus all-American is the current consensus number one pick in the NFL draft. A two-time team captain, recent Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, Hutchinson has a lengthy list of accolades, and in 2021, he became the single-season sack leader for Michigan with 14 sacks. Now, as a senior, he amassed 62 tackles, two forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery. The trophies and accolades that he garnered could fill two pages— Now, after his junior year was cut short due to injury, this was exactly the season that Hutchinson needed to cement himself 
as one of the top talents available in 2022. Michigan used him in a stand-up role this season, and he has quick first step, and his quick first step, excuse me, um, yielded great results for the Wolverine defense. Now, do not let his 4-7-40 time fool you. His quickness and agility are very impressive. He also had some of the best three-cone and 20-yard shuttle times at the Combine. Hutchinson is also dangerous with his hand use and his arsenal of moves, which helps him generate quick and constant pressure. What really makes him special is his intuition and ability to feel a lineman's weak spot and attack without hesitation. He can swim move, bull rush, duck under linemen, and put someone on a a highlight reel. He has skill set plus high motor times character. Like a hot Latina, this edge rusher has all the right moves and will garner a ton of attention. Unfortunately, unless you currently have a top five pick or the capital to to go get it, you won't even be close enough to get a glimpse of him. Hutchinson is the odds-on favorite to become just the 10th defensive player taken at number one in the last 40 years. There's no such thing as a surefire pick, but this is a guy that you really just don't overthink. Number two, Kayvon Thibodeau. Coming out of Oregon, this is a junior who's 6'4", 254 pounds, 33 and one eighth inch arms. People have had their eye on Kayvon Thibodeau for years. He was the top-ranked high school recruit in the nation. He tallied up 19 sacks in 31 career games, 34 and a half tackles for a loss, and has had monstrous games in three Pac-12 championships. He is the first Oregon defensive player since DeForest Buckner to receive All-America honors. While his resume may not jump off the page like Hutchinson, he is a versatile player with strength and agility. He led his position group with 27 reps on the bench and ran a 4.58 40-yard dash. He's explosive off the line and is still expected to be a premier rusher in the NFL very quickly. Thibodeau is used to standing up on the end of the line, but Oregon moved him all over the place. He has a quick jab with his hands and is able to capitalize after creating space. Not known for dipping around the edge, Thibodeau is more of a speed and power guy. We have him as one of the top 10 players on our big board, and he will be walking across that stage sometime before the fifth sportsbook commercial. At number three, we have Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. The Seminole senior is 6'5", 254 pounds, 34-inch arms, Johnson is a former Bulldog who took his talents across state lines to FSU as a senior where he dominated on the field and began rising up draft boards. He became the ACC Player of the Year with 11.5 sacks and 17.5 tackles for loss. Do not be surprised at all to see this man go in the top 10. He's speedy off the line with long arms and he uses those arms to wrap up ball carriers. He impressed at the Senior Bowl and then posted great numbers at the Combine. He had a 1.55 10-yard split and ran a 4.58 40-yard dash. Very strong and can use his bull rush to overpower blockers. He sets the edge well, but he needs to be coached up on his stride and keeping his hips loose. Johnson should quickly become a present in any NFL defense. At number four, we've got Trevon Walker. Georgia, junior, 6'5", 272 pounds, 35 and a half inch arms. When you hear T Walker, think reverse T Rex. Long arms and knows how to use them. 
Walker is a former five-star recruit and was Georgia's Swiss Army knife. He is quickly shooting up draft boards, and it's not hard to see why when you put on the tape. Walker boasted the third highest 40 time at his position with a 4.51. The leverage that he is able to create is astounding. He manhandles blockers at the point of attack. While he may not be a pure pass rusher, Walker has the tools to get there. Great at stopping the run and very intuitive against RPO. He is a very selfless and disciplined player who has extremely high football IQ and can play on the interior or the edge. He's quite adept at beating cut blocks and honestly is becoming one of my favorite draft prospects. While he has a pass rush that may not be elite, as a couple of those others that we've mentioned so far, he makes up for it in the run game and has intangibles that just can't be taught. I have seen him ranked as high as a top 10 pick to falling completely out of the first round. I personally see him as a mid to late first round pick that will instantly improve a team's defensive line. At number five, we have George Karloftis, Purdue, junior, 6'4", 266 pounds, 32 and 5 8 inch arms. The USA Today Player of the Year made a name for himself as a Boilermaker, which is impressive when you think about the fact that eight years ago he was living in Athens, Greece, and had never played football in his life. He was a soccer player through and through until tragedy moved his family to the United States. Karloftis made the most of his opportunities and is now a sought-after candidate in this year's draft. He's got high character, high motor, with incredible intuition on the edge. He identifies and and attacks. Karloftis is a power rusher but has great athleticism. His 38-inch vertical at the combine was the second best among defensive ends. Although he does not have the longest arms, he has a nice bag of moves to go to along with his lower body drive off of the line. He can play all along the line and is a vicious competitor. Many evaluators have him as the third best edge player in the draft and he could be a sleeper pick for the best value depending on where he is selected this year. At number six, David Ajabo, Michigan, sophomore, 6'4", 250 pounds. As we get into the later selections, you will see just how deep this edge class is. Ajabo is another former soccer player who grew up abroad. He matches his acceleration and quickness with flexibility and bend to get to the quarterback. He's a raw talent with huge upside. His ceiling is as high as anyone in this draft, but he will need continued coaching as he is still figuring out how to best use his natural talents. Having said all that, To not have grown up playing this sport and still manage 11 sacks last year while splitting time is beyond impressive. He may not be as great of a run stopper as the higher rated players that we mentioned at the moment, but like a barbecue packet sauce from Wendy's, the rip and dip is amazing. He ran a 4.55.40 at the combine and under the right tutelage could be a dynamic player in the NFL. And that brings us to number 7. Arnold Ebiketti. Ebiketti is an undersized edge rusher at 250 pounds, 6'2", 34 and 1 inch arms. He played for Penn State, and I think I can see him going somewhere in the second round. He had 18 tackles for a loss last year, including 9.5 sacks. The term high motor gets thrown around a lot, but his never stops. What he lacks in run defense, he makes up for in the pass rush. 
great with his hands and has a 38-inch vertical, but needs to learn how to get off blocks in the run game. He will immediately contribute as a pass rusher while he rounds out the rest of his game, but the skill set and the effort is absolutely there. And that brings us to number eight, which is Boye Mafi. Minnesota senior, 6'4", 261 pounds, 32 and 5'8 inch arms. Another player who has impressed at senior week and the combine is Boye Mafi. He continued to hone his skills over his senior year with the Gophers. He's still learning how to utilize his hands, but is able to contribute in the run game effectively. This is another raw prospect that will need to be coached up, but his pure athleticism and speed has definitely turned heads. He ran a 4.53 40-yard dash at the Combine, which was fourth best among edge rushers, and had an incredible 38-inch vert and a 10.5-foot broad jump. We never like to put too much into Combine performances, but when you add it to his explosiveness and ability to tackle, he makes for a very interesting prospect. I feel he is still too raw to go in the first round, but teams have had a chance to meet with him, to watch the tape, so when he does get selected, whoever drafts him will be very comfortable with what he brings to the table and the work that he will need to do to become an NFL starter. Some other names to watch are Drake Jackson out of USC, Cameron Thomas from San Diego State, Kingsley Anagbury from South Carolina, Nick Bonito from Oklahoma, Majai Sanders from Cincinnati, Dominique Robinson from Miami, Josh Pashaw from Kentucky, and Amari Barno from Virginia Tech, who we will talk about later this week. Now, I'm going to have the article up later this week as far as all of these guys, and if I said one of these names improperly or didn't pronounce them perfectly, guess what? Number one, I'm fairly drunk. Number two, I really don't fucking care because once I, I hear it enough times, then I'll set it to memory and then I will learn and I will know how to say it properly. But I do got the math right because I do that before I, I drink. So you can take that part to the bank. In any event, I appreciate you joining us every single week and I hope that you know I've been able to fill you guys in on some of the things that have happened this week. Most Everything that's going on this week will be on Twitter. We are going to try to keep up with it as fast as possible and try to keep you guys alert to what's going on with the cap situation, who still has room, who doesn't have room. And then, of course, each week we're going to start breaking down more positions. And again, we'll get these articles up on regulatorspod.com so you guys can read more about a lot of these players. Again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to us every single fucking week. Go out and have a killer fucking week, because I know you will. I know you're going to crush it. I love you guys. Let's go get this bread. Regulators! Regulators!